out, nobody on. The playoffs to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three called to the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Welcome back to the Autobot Podcast. My name is Justin Viver, and I'm joined, as always, by Chad Young and Niv Shaw. We've got the whole crew back on this episode, and we have real, live, actual Major League Baseball to talk about, which is exciting. We're about a week into the season in 2021, and we thought we would talk about some of our early, let me stress that, very early reactions, overreactions to what's happened so far. We're going to kind of bounce back and forth and talk about a lot of names and you know, mention a lot of early performances. The first thing I want to mention is I just took a look at the top five hitters right now by Fangraphs points. Couple not surprising names, maybe a couple of surprising names. Number one is Mike Trout. Number two is Nick Castellanos. Number three is JD Martinez. Number four is your mean Mercedes. And number five is Byron Buxton. So obviously Mercedes sticks out like a sore thumb a little bit, maybe Buxton to a a lesser extent, but that's the top five and just based on total points, not points per game or anything like that, just the gross total points so far, that's the top five hitters. I mean, we know Trout's good, but it's also kind of interesting that he has been the best so far uh, a week into the season. And again, very, very early, but you know what? Let's talk about your mean Mercedes. You're eligible for the White Sox. They've got Grandal on the team. How much is, I mean, he's been so hot that they've had to play him. Right now, I, I pulled out a lot of a lot of the information I'm going to be mentioning on this episode is based on looking at fan graphs, looking at weighted on base compared against expected weighted on base, because now Fangrass has some of that additional stat cast information, including expected weighted on base based on batted ball information. And Mercedes has a 625 weighted on base right now, but he also has a 540 expected weighted on base. So yes, overachieved, but really not when you look at that expected weighted on base. That's insane. So any thoughts, reactions to that? His his weighted expected weighted on base is a little surprising to me because when I look at his stack cast data overall, he has 24 batted ball events. His average exit velocity is 86.3, which is not very good. It's fine. It's not bad, but it's not very good. His barrel rate is 16.7, which is good, but not like off the charts great. His hard hit rate is 33.3%, which is, I'm not even sure that's good. It's fine. And so I'm sort of, I'm, you know, one of the things that goes into expected WOBA is like launch angle and, and things like, you know, a looping line drive that is headed towards the gap between the shortstop and the left fielder, the second base and the right fielder is going to have a high ex-WOBA because it is very likely to turn into a hit. And while we've talked a lot, not we as in the three of us, but we as in the baseball community have talked a lot about Mercedes driving some big home runs and stuff. I wonder how much of that ex-WOBA is driven by balls that are just look like they're going to drop in because the actual overall stat cast data isn't that exciting to me. 
Well, I, I think that this is something we're going to talk about in a little more detail later, but he does have a 113 max exit velocity. So I feel like he might be a situation where when he's, when he's really gotten a hold of it, he's hit it hard and he's had a high exit velocity, but he's probably had a lot of weak contact as well. And the blend of that is still been very, very valuable. But I think, I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like his plate discipline is really good. He's only, he's only striking out 10% of the time, which is great in today's major league baseball. The launch angle is pretty good. So I think he's just a line drive hitter. Who's also gotten under some balls and, and hit them hard. And that's what's driving that expected weighted on base right now. He's only walking 3.6% of the time. So it's not like he's walking a lot either. So it, it is surprising. I mean, that's a really high number and it doesn't seem sustainable unless he's just a completely different hitter than anybody would have expected. When you compare him against the other names on this leaderboard for expected weighted on base, they're either hitting the ball a lot harder, have much better plate discipline or some other sort of skills that stand out a lot more than Mercedes has. So you guys think he's going to get a chance to stay in that lineup? Obviously, Jimenez being hurt and their choice to move their DH to left field for whatever. I mean, merits and, of that decision aside, like it seems like the DH spot is there for him. Yeah, and I think with Larusa as a manager, I think that he'll get as much run as long as he's hitting. And right. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's going to be. I don't think he's going to continue. I mean, that's that's not even. Right. A, an interesting statement to make, but <laughs> I think he will continue to get playing time for quite a while. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see if he gets squeezed at any point, you know, if they decide they don't want Vaughn in left field anymore or, you know, what the situation may be at that point. But I think that for me, the biggest takeaway is that you see some of these hot starts every year and usually it's just like entirely, I mean, yes, he's got a very high Babbitt, but it, but right. he's also hitting the ball hard. So it, it makes some sense if he's hitting a lot of line drives those have higher BABIP just by their, their nature. So yes, it's the BABIP's going to come down. He's not going to... I don't think he's really... I mean, that's the thing is I don't think he's hitting the ball hard. He occasionally hits it very hard. Well, he's like hitting it... That 33.3% hard hit rate, last year, the guys who, who put that up over the season, obviously it's a different sample size, Jorge Polanco, Jose Altuve, and Nick Ahmed all had exactly 333 percent hard hit rates they re- they were tied for 116th in major league baseball out of 142 qualified hitters like that's a low hard hit rate he is not hitting the ball hard he occasionally does and clearly like he's shown max exit velocity it's impressive but i don't know i i he isn't hitting the ball hard i think that's a misstatement to say he's hitting the ball hard his hard hit data is bad it's nick ahmed <laughs> Right. And at no point, I don't no think, point you're, yeah. I, don't you think, said, I don't think that's fair. He's, he's, he's has the 23rd highest max exit velocity right now in baseball in 2021. Right. But max exit but he velocity means he, very often. means he hit it no, hard but once, it, right? Like, like, but it shows you that that potential is there. So if he, that's true. If he, so that's the thing that I, I think that's my takeaway right now is, yeah, it's fluky. It's obviously fluky. Nobody should ever be expected to run on weighted on base this high. But at the same time, you can point to some things and say, he could. He still has potential. That he's not even actualizing right now because right. I mean, the he thing, has so many other weekly hit. The thing that's like worth saying there. I mean, this dude is twenty eight years old, and this is his first real chance to hit in the majors, right? So, when you go through, and that was the other thing that sort of struck me when we talked about him a little bit like last week, as he was doing this stuff, was like his track record in the minors is like a pretty, pretty, pretty decent hitter. Not you know nothing, 
nothing on this scale, obviously, nothing like type top five in baseball, but he's a, he's a decent hitter. He just never got the right opportunity. And obviously, like, you can point at some numbers and be like, wow, he was in AAA and he had a really bad year in AAA. But, you know, when you're 26 in AAA, like, motivation can be a, a problem. And I'm just interested to see if he can... I, I think it's... I think, you know, obviously nobody roots for injury and... But some good things can come out of it. And Eloy going down for the season means that this guy's finally, Mercedes is finally going to get a chance to hit in the majors. And, you know, I, I am excited to see how how the next seven days goes because the last seven days was pretty cool. Yeah. I think the question for him will be how often can he tap into that. Right. I mean, that you can't full be a, exit velocity, right? You because... can't be a DH and be like, I'm like, well, you can, I guess, but you'd really like to see a little bit more pop consistently from that yeah they just have too many options right they've got right. zach collins they've got adam angle should be back and when he comes back he's going to get some time in left field which is going to push vaughn back to dh which is probably where he belongs right. and so i i don't know i guess i'll say this from a from a fantasy perspective from a from a baseball fan perspective this is fun like it's fun when a guy does this yeah. from a fantasy perspective i've put in some bids on your mean Mercedes, but they've been low and I'm not going to get him anywhere because I I think he's a guy who you're going to ride the hot streak. The hot streak might be over. You'll never know until you've put him in your lineup for four straight over for fours. And then he's going to end up on the bench. And once he ends up on the bench, he doesn't actually serve a purpose in Chicago. So once he's on the bench, he's not going to be on the bench. He's going to be back at the alternate site or in triple a or wherever it is, depending on when that happens. And the other possibility is he actually starts hitting the ball hard much more often than he is right now. And that hard hit rate goes from 33% to 45% or something like that. And if that happens, then he may actually hold down a job until July or August when we get Eloy back, right? And once Eloy's back, then again, he's out of a job unless, unless Andrew Vaughn doesn't hit, which could happen. Yeah, and I don't think it's a given that that he's going to be hitting well enough to if 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 Mercedes is still hitting uh, well, that it's a given that Vaughn will also be hitting well. I, it's interesting to me. I was just looking at I just pulled up his rest of season projections. The preseason projections for Mercedes from Steamer was a three oh nine weighted on base, which is not good, and it would have been below replacement level for even for the catcher position position. But the rest of season projection right now is up to a three twenty eight, which is a pretty big upward change and the 328 weighted on base is not exciting at most positions but with catcher eligibility it's it's a couple dollars probably at least i mean so i feel like this story for mercedes is really just about a player who probably wasn't on very many rosters at all and is now viable as a one or two or three dollar catcher eligible player in on right now so yeah, I think that's right. And I think, you know, that 328, especially if he actually holds down an everyday or close to everyday job Very useful. is is huge, right? If he doesn't, right, if he, if he's just a a catcher with a 328 Woba who plays no more often than any other catcher because he's a part-time DH. Right. Then there's um, very little value in that. There's some value there, right? But then he's he's Steven Vogt. It'll be interesting right, Stephen Vogt, how... 2019, the last full season, Stephen Vogt had a 328 Woba in 280 plate appearances. It'll be interesting to see. Like I, I, I tend to agree with Justin that Larusa is gonna. 
I mean, it'll be it's an interesting test for Larusa because once Mercedes does have that that a couple of days of over four or whatever, and that number comes back to earth, how Larusa decides that he wants to manage this team because the early returns seem to be positive about Larusa with that White Sox clubhouse, which you know. I don't think any of the three of us would have expected to hear so many effusive words about him so far. But, well, maybe, though, because people do like kissing up to Tony La Russa for some reason. Well, um, I mean, that, that's that's part of the thing, right? Like, <laughs> managers like him and Dusty, they're not analytical managers, but they are, right. you know, leaders. P- personal people, people. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so, you know, to me, like, the opportunity is to let him give him a little bit more rope than maybe someone a little bit more analytically minded would. And that could be to his benefit. It'll be interesting to see how that pans out this week and, and going forward. Segwaying off the, the Mercedes discussion, the other player that I listed in that top five, he was number two, is Nick Cassianos, who Chad. has a 658 weighted on base, but his expected weighted on base is even higher, number one in baseball right now. <laughs> Man, 672. He's the second best hitter in baseball, and he's been unlucky. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I saw that the... Uh, Reds for the first week have a slash line equivalent to Mike Trout. Like the whole Reds team is Mike Trout, a uh, Mike Trout right now. And like, it's ridiculous. And Ch- Chad, I'm going to give you credit for this because you have told me multiple times, do you think Cassianos' season, I think you may have even written about it, was act- it looked, it looked really, it was a great start. Then it looked kind of bad in review. But then Chad, I think you said is it, it isn't actually bad. It wasn't, yeah. his 2020 wasn't bad and you were very bullish on him for 2021. Yeah, I wrote about him on Pitcher List in an article I called Nick Castellanos' Secretly Exciting 2020. Yeah. And it was basically, it was just what you said. At the surface, if you look at the full 60 game season, he had like his worst batting averages of his career, his worst OBP other than his like, cup of coffee in 2013 worst slugging percentage since 2015 like all sorts of terrible numbers and it was driven by a drop in his his o contact rate his basically his his contact rate on pitches he chased more than anything else but he was also hitting the ball a lot harder like if you compare his 2020 stack cast sliders to 2019 he was just he was just crushing the ball compared to where he was before and he had shown some strides in his plate discipline before that. And sort of what I was seeing was basically, I think he's going to main, get those plate discipline, like maintain the contact quality and get those plate discipline gains back to where they were. And that combination was going to be super impressive. <laughs> I thought it's only been a week, so I'm not going to take my victory lap just yet, but that's basically what's happened. He's crushing the ball. He's not his, his plate discipline He's putting everything in play. He's got like, what is it, a 4% walk rate and an 8% strikeout rate? Yeah, the which, plate discipline is insane right now. Yeah, and that won't continue. He's going to strike out more than that. He's, he might not walk more than that. He's not a guy who walks a ton. But he doesn't have to strike out that small an amount to continue to to do what he's doing as long as he keeps hitting the ball hard. Yeah, and and I, I think that he's showing that he has, you know, that potential is there with this hot stretch and yeah, he's going to cool off just like most of these players we're going to list as, as having hot starts are going to cool off. But by the way, the um, Reds, you were talking about the Reds having that ridiculous. So last year, the Reds, and this is one of those short season weird statistics because it couldn't have happened in a real season. <laughs> the Reds had a team BAPIP team, whole team, whole season of two forty five. 
There, <laughs> there was no one else in baseball lower that than is 66. Horrible. Horrible. Well, Justin, right. you should, I wish you guys could see Justin's face right now. <laughs> in a team backup of 245. Like across the board. That is crazy. Terrible. I, I understand, like, I can understand your pitching staff having an extreme bad. Right. You've got like a fantastic defense or a really terrible defense. But for your hitters to be at that point, there's no there's no rational explanation for it other than it was it was a short season and weird stuff happened. Like even I, over, I, even only in sixty games, that I I'm very surprised at such a low. Yeah. Well, they're at three fifty four this year, so <laughs> the the karma has turned for them. <laughs> the worm they, has they, turned. They they paid their they paid what they needed to pay last year. And it's, <laughs> it's bouncing back. That is uh, wild. But yeah, I mean, just crazy, right? That so. This year, hopefully, for their sake, they, they probably won't stay at 354 all season. They are now over the course of the two seasons all the way up to 256. They moved up 11 points in just a week of time because of how bad last year was. So, all, but, but one of the things that means is almost across the board, Reds players are going to be better this year than they were last year. You'd have to dig into each individual one and look at you know how they factored into that 245 team BAPIP. But the Reds are going to be a much better offense this year than they were a year ago. Yeah, I agree with that. Another name that I wanted to mention is a guy that I had highlighted in our first base preview episode, I believe, is Nate Lowe. He's been, he has a 450 weighted on base right now, a 394 expected weighted on base. He's had some big home runs. My issue right now with him, as much as I like him, is that's been coupled with a 3.8% walk rate and a 34.6% strikeout rate which is not good. So when I see those numbers and I see that plate discipline right now, his average exit velocity and his barrel rate is up a little bit in the small sample, but I have some tepid enthusiasm right now for him continuing uh, to be valuable because he needs to, he needs to have a better approach at the plate. The, the thing about his barrel rate too, is like his barrel rate is up he has three barrels. If he had two barrels, his barrel rate would be down. <laughs> so right. it's, you know, it, it's way too early. And we've said, I feel like we're going to keep saying it's too early. It's way too early to read too much into this, except that one of the first things to stabilize is plate discipline. And it's still too early for even that to stabilize. We're still, you know, a little ways away from that. But that's one of the first things I look at. Like if I'm going to make a judgment on a player right now, that's one of the first things I'm going to look at. And it doesn't look real good. Yeah, it's it's definitely concerning. He's always been a guy that strikes out a lot, but he's got to walk to couple. You know, there's got to be an increase in in patience. And and I didn't really look at it, what his swing numbers are right now. His, he's his chase more. rate is thirty four percent. The last two years, he was at thirty percent in two thousand nineteen and twenty six point two percent in twenty twenty. His Z swing, the swinging in the zone, is also a career high. So he's swinging a lot and. Yeah, it, his contact rate is down a little bit, but not a ton, but it's leading to a career high swinging strike rate because he's swinging so much. And that's the thing, like the point I was going to make was you almost wonder if because he's he's had good results right now, if he's going to swing more than he otherwise would to try to keep those good results happen. You know what I mean? If, if you're swinging yeah, and you're, you're making, you're, 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 you know, what I mean? you're, you're hitting well, you say, well, let's just keep doing what I'm doing. Swing even more because I can hit well if I keep swinging and. Eventually, that that's not gonna that the house of cards is gonna fall, right? 
So I have some concerns. I still like Nate Lowe, obviously, and, and this doesn't change anything. It's kind of sort of in the same place I was. Like, yeah, I'm glad the power's playing up. I'm glad the results have been good. But at the same time, uh, I want the play discipline and the contact to be a lot better. So I sort of don't haven't really shifted my opinion on him very much at all right now. So we'll see. Interestingly, in the early going, he's getting fewer four seams and more sinkers and more sliders thrown to him than he has in the past. I don't know if that, I don't know if there's anything to that. I don't know if that means anything. I mean, that could just be simply whoever he's faced, right? I mean, right. the, the pitchers but, that they've been matched up against. Yeah, but I'm sort of wondering, like, you know, does he hit sinkers well? And so he's been getting a lot of sinkers and he's swinging at them. Does he chase sliders? And so he's been chasing a lot of sliders and some of that stuff might normalize. I, I have no idea. It's just a thing I noticed looking at his yeah. photographs page. Yeah, and that's absolutely, I mean, that. and these are the effects we're talking about, right? Like you've, you know, you, you've, you've played two series basically at this point against two different teams and you know, there's just, you really have to get through the entire league before you even can say that, you know, some of those things have stabilized at all as far as who they're facing. Any other names you guys want to mention before I just keep rattling off <laughs> the notes that I've made here? I, I think another one that I wanted to mention that was sort of the flip side, a more pessimistic one, is Kesson Hira has been just really, wretched. It really is rough in the auto news slack that Kesson Hira... Like, it just feels everyone's real down. Like, everyone had high hopes, and it, it, everyone really bought into Hira, especially going into 2020. And he's just continued his 2020, right? Like it's Yeah, just, and that's the thing. Like, it was one of those situations where if you were... We talked about this with the narrative of 2020 that, you know, oh, he, he had a poor 2020. Let's assume he's going to be closer to 2019. And that's where a lot of the optimism for him fell, because I think there is still that potential. And... But he's been so bad. I mean, it's it's an 083 weighted on base, 125 expected. So it's really not much better than he's been and still terrible. He hasn't walked at all. He has almost a 46% strikeout rate and he's got one extra base hit so far. And I think he's losing playing time, he's right? Swinging I mean, he's swinging and missing not... at everything, right? <clears throat> yeah, right. His, his chase rate's up, his swing rate's up, his contact rates are down. So in his good 2019 season, he had a 17.5% swinging strike rate, which, which is high. It went up to 20.3 last year. It's 23.6 this year. So he is he is swinging through everything. But on top of that, he's making terrible contact when he makes contact. Right? And it, it feels a little bit to me like he's pressing. And I, like, I, I don't want to play, you know, armchair psychologist here. Like, I don't, I don't know Keston Hura at all. But it, I just can't help but wonder, like, he had this great season when he came up. He really struggled last year. Then he shows up to camp this year and his team's like, look, we're just going to slide you over to first base to make room for Colton Wong. And now it looks like statistically, it looks like he's pressing. I haven't watched him play to say whether, whether, you know, what it looks like when he's on the field, but statistically he's swinging at everything. He's trying to crush everything is what it looks like in the numbers. And as a result, he's making a lot of weak contact and he's making a lot of no contact. And, I think he's got to find a way to adjust the pitch mix he's faced. Hasn't really changed. It's not like pitchers have adjusted to him. They're throwing him fewer fastballs than they did in 2018, but it's, I don't know. It just looks like a guy who sort of lost his way. Yeah. And, and it, it feels like everything's trending in the wrong direction. Cause not only has the hitting been poor, but he's already been moved over to first base 
And so he's not going to have second base eligibility, probably, maybe, next year. And and they do have Vogelbach right now, who I, I can't believe that if Hira keeps struggling like this, they're not going to play Vogelbach more often at first base. They might, but they also, like... Vogelbach's a better he, hitter. I, I think so, but Hira, in theory, is their future, right? Yes. And so, I, I don't know. I mean... I got to be honest, if if their thinking was, we're going to move him to first base, and if he struggles, we could always play Vogelbach because he's a better hitter, they should have traded Hira, and it was insane well, I, that they didn't. I, I don't think because, that's a plan, but if the, if the, I don't think they expected Hira to struggle like this. So, But but I'm saying, like, it couldn't have even, like, they should be months away from considering that. If they really, like, th- as far as we can tell, three months ago, two months ago, whatever it was, Based on all of the data that they had up until this week, they thought this is a guy whose bat is good enough that he could be a first baseman for the foreseeable future. To go from that to, well, maybe we should give Vogelbach more plate appearances, like that needs to take some time. I understand that, but at the same time, this is a really weak NL Central, and the Brewers are going to be in the mix, and they need to win games. So I don't. I wonder how much the pressure of that you're going to have to reach a point where you say, we can't keep running this. He's one of the worst hitters in baseball right now. And you're running him out. There's your first baseman. I there, you don't need to be much of a hitter. They may need to option him. Right. Like or he may, he may need or to be phantom like... DL him or something because, or IL him because it, I mean, it's what do you do when, when he, you've already moved him over to first base with the presumption that he could hit well enough to stick there. And he's gotten worse. Yeah, I mean, according to Fangraphs, he has two options remaining. Uh, it's been a week. You give him more than a week. But the point at which you think he's not going to play every day because we need to give Dan Vogelbach more plate appearances because he gives us a better chance to win, then Hira shouldn't be on the roster. He needs to be figuring things out and getting his swing right and, and getting himself back in a place where That's he can like come the, back and actually make your team good. Like precisely the thing that the Phillies did with Scott Kingery, right? Like they... like. That's what you do. Like if, if a guy is still Carlson last year is the other name that comes to mind. Yeah, that, right. right. Great example. Struggled. They sent him down. He came back and Carlson's been basically on fire since then. Do you, do you think that it would, they would be less likely to do that right now because the, the AAA season's not going to start? Yeah. I wonder May. if there's something like the alternate site doesn't have anything for him, And once AAA gets going, maybe they take advantage of that. that I think that's, that could make sense to me. I think it's less that and more just, you don't make that decision on a week's worth of plate appearances. Yeah, no. that's fair. Right. No, but, and, but... and if, and I don't like, I guess I would put it this way. If, if I were the GM and or manager of a baseball team and I had a guy and hero was on my team after the season he had last season, if I thought he was a bad week or even a bad couple yeah. weeks, away you, you would have sent him down, down already. Right? I would have sent him down to start the season. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. But, I, so, but I, I think, th- I think the thing is like, if you have two more weeks of this, But then you are getting into like AAA is coming around. Maybe you can go set yourself up in a place where you're a little bit more comfortable. I think that that's probably what the, I mean, we'll again, we'll see what the next couple of weeks bring. It it may be that this all sort of coincides. It's good to know that it's good to know that he has some options or that they still have options for him so that he doesn't have to figure it out or just sit on the bench in Milwaukee. That would be just such a waste. But, but I do think there's a chance this all sort of comes together at the same time. That like two weeks from now, the AAA season's about to start, and he's had two more weeks like this, and now you've hit a point where you actually have enough data to say, we gave him a month. 
and it and it hasn't worked out. Plus, there's a triple A season now. That that it may just sort of time out well, but man, not what I expected from him this year. Yeah, no, I've I've got him on one roster, I think, for double digit salary, and it's it's not it's not good. Well, it's no, not you're good. Cutting, you're cutting everybody these days, so why not cut him? Yeah, let's not get into that. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to talk about that. So you had mentioned Chad. You had talked about sort of plate discipline being one of those things that you start to get some early information that's actually meaningful. We talked before we started recording. The other thing that we were talking about was max exit velocity being an indicator as well. So one of the things that I wanted to highlight are a couple of names that are in that that top 12. Willie Castro for the Tigers has the fifth highest max exit velocity right now, which is really interesting. Josh Naylor, who we talked about in the preseason episodes, is 11th. Chad made the point before we started recording, and I agree with him 100%. Right now, the information we have is that the ball is generating higher exit velocities than it has in years past. So it's hard to look at somebody's exit velocity this year, max exit velocity. Oh, it's the highest in their career. It's hard to really know what that means, given that baseline's not the same. But when you have an ordinal ranking here, I think that's still interesting that you can say that Willie Castro has hit at the fifth highest max exit velocity this year. So that means something, even if the actual number itself is a little muddied as far as what's going on with the ball right now. Did I see something about all, like, everyone's velocity is up too from the pitching side? Where, like, a number of pitchers, I think Nick Nick from PitcherList tweeted something about it, that uh, a ton of people are just throwing, have already thrown higher at a higher velocity this season than they did at all in 2020. Which I think would make some sense because whatever, you know, the, the characteristics of this new ball that are causing higher exit velocities would make sense that it would be increasing pitching velocity as well. However, slightly. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder, yeah, I wonder what's, I mean, I wonder if that's all ball related or we had a full spring training this year and there's like three or just the natural progression of pitching velocity has been going up for years and years. So maybe it's just a continue. I don't think it's the ball because the read on the ball is that it is bouncier for lack of a better term. And it's coming off the bat harder but has increased drag. And so your distance per per exit velocity or something like that is actually going down. And so what's happening is they measure exit velocity at the point of contact, basically. And so the ball comes off the bat a mile per hour, two miles per hour, whatever it is. I don't know what the number is. Some amount faster than it did than the previous ball did. But then it gets more drag and doesn't carry quite so as it, far. It decelerates so, more quickly than right. it otherwise. Which should would. mean that for pitchers, there shouldn't be a, there might be another effect, right? I don't know if the ball is also grippier or something like that. Like there could be something else going on with the ball, but there's what I've read about the ball. There's nothing to that that would suggest it's driving up velocities. I think what's driving up velocities is the same thing. that has been driving up velocities for, five, six years now, which is teams are getting smarter about coaching velocity, right? I think there was a there was a point in time not that long ago, a decade ago, maybe less, where you would have said you can't teach speed, right? The same way in basketball, you say you can't teach height. Like that's clearly been proven false. <laughs> and now teams can teach speed and they do. Right. Um, and the really dri- the driveline. The driveline-ification of baseball continues. For sure. Well, so and, I, my my guess is the reason velocities are up is because pitchers are throwing harder. Like it's because it's, velocities are up. 
That's yeah, point almost is a as point. good as me saying a point is a point. <laughs> a dollar is a, is a point dollar. A point is a point, and velocity is velocity because they're throwing harder. <laughs> but that's, that's that's really what it is. Yeah. Right? Isn't, isn't that like isn't that driveline's whole thing is like throwing with intention? Yeah, like yeah. they're throwing harder because they're trying to throw harder. <laughs> that's right, basically right, right. what's well, doing and, it. And, and I think there's also a correlation between the fact that a starting pitcher is not expected to go out there and pitch eight innings anymore. Every you know, you're not seeing as many pitches per start or innings per season so they can have a they can bump up their effort a little bit and then especially when you think about some of these teams that are throwing guys out there for only three or four innings like the, the Rays, you're not going out there for a third time through the order so you can throw a little harder because you know you don't have to last as long so yeah we used to see i mean that was years ago when carlos carrasco was sort of bouncing around with cleveland and really struggling to get situated they moved him to the pen and he started pitching really well in the pen and they brought him back to the rotation and he's been an ace basically ever since and supposedly the the what happened to him was he went in the pen they said you're gonna throw 10 to 20 pitches in one inning let it go and then once he started to do that they said okay now you're gonna throw six innings still do that still let it go don't pace yourself just go out there and throw your best pitches as hard as you can and it made a huge difference for him. And I think that that's what you're seeing more and more across baseball, right? It's just go out there. And if you can only give us four innings because you've gassed yourself at four innings, we don't care because that's fine. Yep. The other thing that I wanted to mention real quick that I take, took a look at is we've been to, I've, I've been mentioning specifically uh, weighted on base and expected weighted on base. I downloaded the leaderboards for hitters and basically wanted to see which hitters have most outperformed and underperformed that expected uh, number weighted by plate appearances. So this isn't somebody who only had, you know, two plate appearances and the numbers, you know, far apart. The two biggest underperformers that I wanted to highlight are Ozzy Albies, who has a 108 weighted on base, but he had 369 expected weighted on base, which is pretty close to probably what most people's expectations were for him going into the season. So even though he's been bad, he probably should have been the the expected statistics should have been much higher than they've been. Uh, the other one's Trevor Story with a 248 weighted on base and it's a 423 expected weighted on base, which is obviously really, really, really good. And then on the flip side, the ones that have underperformed or overperformed, I'm sorry, Eric Hosmer has a 501 weighted on base right now and a 318 expected weighted on base. I know, Chad, you wanted to talk, speak to that a little bit, especially in regards to the, the launch angle right now for Hosmer. Yeah, so Hosmer, last year when he started off hot before he got hurt, there was all this talk about, like, here's a guy who for years and years and years has been told, get the ball in the air, get the ball in the air, get the ball in the air. Whether or not he's been told that by anyone who matters, I don't know, but he's been told that by me and lots of other people like me. And he's never done it. Last year, it seemed like he was starting to do it. And it was starting to pay off. And then he got hurt. His launch angle this year is negative 2.5, which means that on average, he's hitting the ball down, which is not a good thing at all. Last year, even in his sort of shortened version of a shortened season, he had a launch angle of 8.7. 8.7 is still low, right? The sweet spot for StatCast is between 8 and 32 degrees. And so you really like to see a guy whose launch angle is in like the mid-teens or something, right? Because that means that when he when he misses it a little bit, he's still at that 8. When he hits it, gets under it a little too much, he's still in, you know, below that 32. 8.9 means that 
you know, half of his balls are still too low to be in that sweet spot, but it was so much better than where he'd been at any other point in his career, 8.7. Then this year he's at negative 2.5, which it's been a week. Let's be patient, but it would be a career low if that continued. And so for me, you know, Justin, you and I were talking before the, before we started recording about how so much of what we're seeing right now is just about confirming our priors, right? It's like, oh, I thought this guy would be good and he's been bad, but his ex-WOBA is good. So I'm still right. Right. But Hosmer is actually a case where I think I've sort of flipped on a guy based on a week, which seems a little crazy, but I was high on Hosmer. I kept him in league one until just before the season started. I ended up cutting him because of OPL roster needs, basically. That turned out to be a bad choice because I ended up with a bunch of injuries and some other stuff. But regardless, I was high on him. I thought he was maybe not a star first baseman, but a very good first baseman to buy in on in the hopes that maybe that 8.7 launch angle would go up to 10 or 11. But even if it stayed at 8.7, it would be such a big gain for him. And now he's had this hot start to the season. He's got a couple home runs already, but his launch angle is so far down that I just don't buy it's going to continue. And like I was looking at his, I was trying to look to see like, how is he hitting so well with this launch angle? It's like he has a double where he hit the ball maybe four feet in front of the plate. It just chopped down the first baseline and got by the first baseman into right field. Like that stuff's not going to continue. And so I, I think I've gone from being sort of optimistic about Hosmer to being pessimistic and being sort of done unless he starts to bring that launch angle back up. Because otherwise, those two home runs are going to be a fluke, right? He's going to end. This, he's not going to be on a twenty to thirty home run pace. He's going to be on a ten to fifteen home run pace, and that's just not interesting. Right. Yeah. And and I I'm in the same boat. I he was a player that I I have on a few rosters just because I thought you know was was this bounce back with these was this swing change real? And if it was, then he's got the plate discipline skills and enough power to be useful as a back end first baseman, but. Yeah, if he's trending in the, in in an even worse direction than he was before as a worm burner, then that's that's not good, and that's not very compelling as a util guy on a roster. The other player that was an overperformer right now was Jonathan India. Yeah, it's exciting that he made the team. He's been on a surface level, he's been hitting well with a 458 weighted on base, but that's a 298 expected weighted on base, which is not terrible, but not very good. He hasn't walked. He has a 556 batting average on balls in play, one double, one triple. He's not striking out a ton. It's only 20%, but he hasn't shown a ton of power right now. And, you know, I think he's that 298 is probably close to what I would have expected. And if you only look at what he's done at the surface, I think you're, you're overlooking that he's just been kind of what we the projections thought he would be and not a, a true breakout so far with a, with a week into the season but yeah i mean i i wonder like with the reds right you're painting with a broad brush with the reds right now everybody is hitting tremendously well so it's just like ride it you know have fun with it on your auto new team i know you know i was very happy when he picked up second base eligibility and you know suarez picked up shortstop eligibility all those guys are hitting and i mean like if a team's gonna go on a heater enjoy the ride, I guess. But having any expectation that Jonathan India is anything other than what he has always looked to be. Cause I mean, there's a lot of, pe- there's, there's prospect pedigree and like, he's not, it's not like somebody who surprised anybody. Like everybody knew who Jonathan India was last year and, and kind of in 2019. And so like, obviously 
don't think there, that the, and, this past week has changed that. No, and, and there's still a lottery ticket effect, I think, with India that we don't, sure. we don't know what he is. Yeah, like and, at the major league level, right? Right, right. So I'm not going to say that he's he's not going to be valuable uh, for an auto new roster, especially, but. I wouldn't. I wouldn't point to the current weighted on base as evidence that he is going to be valuable. So, but I, I, I'd be selling high. My guess is that most rosters he's on, you weren't counting him on as your, on him as your second baseman because it was yeah. there was no way to be relying on him as your second baseman. You weren't counting him on counting on him as your third baseman because he was probably not going to be your third baseman like you just you wouldn't nobody was leaving he, auctions he was a year. depth pick right but right. so like the counterpoint to that chad though is that he's not and we talked about this a little bit in slack why is he so inexpensive two to three dollars and guys like mercedes are going for 10 plus and it's because jonathan india was picked up in in february and in march right and so the 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 end of the day you the the counterpoint to I'm preemptively countering Chad's sell high point, which is he's probably really inexpensive on your roster. And I would definitely, I mean, I have him for a buck. I'm definitely writing that out. I, I don't know if I'm be, if I will be able to find a good trade fit for him in the next couple of weeks, given his price, uh, especially if he continues to hit at this sort of like extremely better than, than like it's, it's, it's like snake oil to, to pedal this guy right now at face value. So you have to be a little caveat and, then I'm not sure how to value a one dollar Jonathan India. Like, what is your return he, on that? He's a guy, though. I would just I would put on the block and see what people say because he's exactly the kind of guy that, in a lot of leagues, there will be somebody who believes in the bat, who thinks that he's going to be their starting second baseman for the next year and a half at least, and that person may give you like a starting outfielder for him. Or a prospect you're really excited about, or a starting yeah, pitcher you that, need. That's a good point. And so I would, I'd at least be, you know, I get not wanting to actively shop him. Especially, like it's a weird thing to to actively shop him because you're like, you're either going to be like, he's a star second baseman and you should buy him, in which case you're lying right. or it doesn't your make pitch, sense. Your pitch is either a little disingenuous, optimistic, or it's maybe underselling him because we don't really know yet. Right. Right. And so I, he's the kind of guy that's like, I would just put him out there. I would reach out, like if there's teams that are looking for a middle infielder, I might reach out and be like, hey, I've got India, he's got second base now, and he's not like holding down a regular spot on my roster or my lineup. Are you interested? And don't worry about trying to sell him. Just let's see who wants to buy. Did you have some other names you wanted to mention, Chad? I see you've got some other notes on here. I don't know if there was... Yeah, just a, a couple others to throw out there quickly. I also looked at the the StackCast leaderboards for the difference between WOBA and XWOBA. A couple of, of names that that popped out on that. Yoshi Tsutsugo had some bad luck last year and seems to be continuing to have that. And then Jake Bowers, who is sort of at his last shot with with Cleveland. And I wrote about him at Fangraphs this week, like earlier, just before the season started, basically. Not at Fangraphs, at Pitcher List, I wrote about him. And I basically came away as like, this guy needs to start hitting the ball, like making way more contact and hitting the ball a lot harder or else this is never going to work. And I don't think he can do <laughs> this, that. This baseball player needs to be better at baseball. Well, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, <laughs> but, but he, he, he just, he, like his, even his minor league ISOs weren't that great. So it was like, how is this going to work out? And then this week, all he's done is crush the ball. He has nothing to show for it, but he's a guy I'm watching because he's got outfield eligibility. He has a regular job at least for now, the ball just needs to start falling in for him. And we'll, we'll have to see if that happens. 
And then I also looked at the the MLB leaders in average exit velocity. And the number one name on there, I just feel like we have to mention, is Pablo Sandoval. He is leading baseball in average exit velocity. Amazing. 25 pitches. Crazy. That's amazing. Um, but a couple other names that are on that list, the, the next sort of five, Wilson Ramos, Jesse Winker, Tyler Naquin, and Cabrian Hayes are the next four. Ramos has always been a strong offensive catcher, and just when he's healthy and playing well, he's good. Winker is a guy who, if you can find a manager frustrated because Winker's been out of the lineup, I would be buying. Key Brian Hayes, you're not getting anywhere anyways. It doesn't matter. Like People love him. Fine. Tyler Naquin. Tyler Naquin's an interesting guy because he's always crushed the ball down and really struggled with anything up. He's getting a lot more pitches down and in than he should right now. And I don't know if that'll continue. Tyler, Tyler Naquin is evidence that Major League Baseball front offices are not paying enough attention to scouting reports. Like, there's this makes no sense. We've watched Tyler Naquin hit for the better part of two seasons, and it's just been there, there's a book on him. He's incredibly booked. Like, there's not many hitters that are as book as Taylor Naquin, right? It's, it's for sure. frustrating. It's frustrating to watch him. I mean, like, it's yeah. awesome. But, oh, come on, man. My Reds fans, friends who are like, why'd you guys just let this guy go? Like, well, because he stinks, man. Yeah. And you're going to find out one day. <laughs> yeah. The, the thing, here's what I'm going to say about Naquin. He has three home runs. One of them, one of those three, was on a pitch up and out over the plate. Like, up. up. And, that's, and that's exciting. And that's interesting. Now, yeah. he sort of got a hold of one and hit it the other way, and it carried and got out. I don't know how often he can do that, but if he starts, if, if he punishes pitches up even a little bit and forces pitchers to come down more often, he actually could be very good. Yeah, he's so good on low pitches and so bad at everything else that if any slight improvement, if no, there's when, a real when Cleveland, when, when Cleveland, when he was on Cleveland and they would face off against a sinker baller, I was like, done. Nick was hitting a home run today for sure. There's no way around it because if you throw the ball down in the zone to him, he will destroy it. So just don't do that. Yeah. And the, and right. That's what I was saying. There's just a book on him. And it's shocking to me that because, you know, a, a week into the season, he he's crushing the ball. And it's just because the Pirates are not paying attention to his book. Like, wh- what's going on here? Or just don't care. Right. They may or just be telling care. their pitchers, execute do, pitches. Do your it, thing. Like, right. But I'm watching because if he can start to do a better job with those pitches up, I think he theoretically has another tier he could reach. I just, you know, not sure I believe it. He has 13 batted balls and 12 of them have been hard hit. It's a 92.3%. Yeah. 92.3% hard hit percentage. I wonder how many <laughs> a of them are down. Because again, yeah, a lot of them are down. down him, he crushes them. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I, I get, oh man, it's really frustrating because the Indians have such outfield like famous outfield troubles, right? Like, and, and Naquin could have been one of, could have helped shore up that position for the Indians. And the book got out on him and, and the AL Central knew how to pitch him. So I'm looking now at his, at the StatCast numbers for him and looking at the pitches he's hit into play and their zones. So now in, in StatCast, the zones are like one, two, three are across the top of the zone, four, five, six are the middle, seven, eight, nine are the bottom. The pitches he's put into play, zones 9, 8, 7, 2, 9, 9, 9, 8, and 13. I can't remember where outside the zone 13 is. They're all down. 
Yeah. Except for that two. That two is the home run he hit on the pitch up out over the plate. But everything else is down at the bottom of the zone. Which means he's seen 12 pitches. pitches. (laughs) He's seen 12 pitches down. What is going on? Come on, Pirates. Help us out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, look, if Naquin can do a little bit better on pitches in four through six and one through three, then then bye. (laughs) I wanted to name a couple pitchers real quick, and I know... You know, in only one weekend, so we've only really everyone's only seen one start. But Tyler Glasnow's seen two starts, and he looks awesome. I don't know if you guys have like watched his starts at all. Uh, obviously, I roster him in League One, so so I if he if the Indians aren't on, I'll, I'll put their game on. I'll put the Rays game on. And I watched that opening day duel with Alcantara, and it was awesome, man. Like he has total control of the zone. That slider, he is already using it effectively in a way that like. Hitters don't know what to do. There was one at-bat where, man, I'm blanking on the name on the Marlins. One of the better hitters on the Marlins. He has, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter who. Just, just like saw the saw the 101 paint and then saw the slider and just looked at the umpire like with like a, like just laughing. Like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, what, like he can go, to, he can change 20 miles an hour and he has such good control of that fastball and he's using that slider effectively already. So he's just must must watch TV for me. And then, I don't think we can talk about the first week of Major League Baseball season without talking about Shohei Otani, right? I mean, that Sunday night baseball game was the first must-watch April baseball game. Like, my, my all, everyone watched it. My parents watched that game, you know? Like, everyone wanted to see what this kid was all about. And, and of course, over 100 miles an hour with, all, with multiple times, with ease, with his fastball, and that 115-mile-an-hour, what did John Boys call it? It sounded like a, a construction work when he hit that ball. Like, awesome, awesome sound. 450 feet to, to straightaway center. Like, and then, and then of course, the crazy play to, to end the outing. And I guess he's going to miss his, his Sunday yeah, he's, start he's, against the... Yeah, we're, we're recording this on Friday. He's not going to pitch on Sunday. But dealing with that blister that... Yep. Right? Yep. But, but he's... You know, he, his hitting has been hilarious because his slugging percentage is super high, but he's not really on base at all. But he's, you know, he's a boomer bust hitter uh, right now. And and that the getting to pitch and hit batting second in the AL as a pitcher, man, that was cool. <laughs> it, it is. And and to me, like the, the this first week sort of perfectly encapsulates Otani for me, like the hype and, you know, all of that, his his athletic prowess is is off the charts but he's already got blister issues he's gonna miss a start i mean right. that's that's i mean the he concern. had the blister and then like it came back or whatever <laughs> and and just the fact that he's he's playing he's hitting he's pitching you know it's a lot it's, to do it's an increased risk profile for chances to get hurt and that to me like yeah he's exciting and i roster him in one league where i'm more of a rebuilding kind of situation right now. And we talked about this before the season started that I thought he was a great high variance target, but only if the price was right. And some of the slack chatter over this first week of the season, people are talking about him like, oh, he's, he's a $50 plus player. 20, he's 20 to $50 in that, in the, in Slack. And I think, you know, the community in general, I mean, that's just how auto new values him. Auto new players value him. It's 20 to $50 and you will never find another player that has, that kind of a swing that people that I think is defensible, frankly, and it's just how much risk tolerance you're willing to take on, or, or willing to have rather. But it's it's wild, yeah. Like talking about him like he's the second coming and listening to this stuff. Like 
obviously like listening to the Sunday Night Baseball guys and like we can we should do a whole episode where we just rag on the Sunday Night Baseball crew because they stink right now. But having them say like this is the best player in the world and he's the best hitter in the lineup and Mike Trout is right there, you guys. He can hear everything you're saying. And Anthony Rendon isn't chopped liver either, right? So I don't know where these folksy sayings are coming from, but it just makes me really <laughs> But but you gotta be I mean like it's still super exciting. People overrating Shohei Otani makes you feel folksy. Apparently, but and like fifty dollars is obviously a ridiculous kind of because of the first week. If you find if, like if every league has somebody that's willing to spend fifty dollars on them, I'm never gonna roster Otani. But otherwise, like this, there's a reason there's hype, and you know that's that's the real thing that I want to say, Justin. It's like there's a lot of players that get hyped and talked up because of really subtle scouting-y, like, looking forward, this guy's exit velocity indicates this, or what Chad said about Hosmer and the launch angle stuff, you know, like, this is second tier or third tier analysis, and being able to have hype, because Otani is, maybe his arm is going to fall off, but otherwise he hits the ball 150 miles an hour and throws it 150 miles an hour, like, that's just like, it's just right there on the screen, man, you don't have to explain it to anybody. Right. And that part and that part is fun. And he's doing something that nobody else in baseball does. Right. I mean, and has ever done really since Babe Ruth or whatever. And, you know, for me, for the for the rational auto new manager perspective, I, I, you know, there's risk there. And the price is just not what I would want it to be if I was trying to get him in a trade right now, for example. But at the same time, yeah, it's absolutely exciting. I understand why people are excited. And I understand why he's on rosters at the prices that he's at, even if I don't the rational side even of if says. i don't want to spend it yeah. he's yeah. also nearly impossible to trade right now yeah because most teams yeah. that acquired him built their teams in some regards around him mm-hmm. right you build a team that assumes you're going to get however much out of him as a util and however much out of him as a pitcher and it's like what do you possibly trade him for and like I, i'm dealing with that right now i i don't have him in any of my auto new teams but i'm in a dynasty league that started up this year where I drafted him, and then in like the 37th round, nobody had taken Nelson Cruz yet because he's util only, and it's a dynasty league, and he's really, really old. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> I'm not waiting on Nelson Cruz any longer. And now I've got both of them in one util spot, and it's yeah. actually super frustrating. But I don't know how I would trade Otani because I you have to like, orient your entire team around him. That's totally. Right. I would right. basically have to be traded. Like somebody would have to give me an ace. And something else. Right. Otherwise... And then, like, even Nelson Cruz is more movable in a sense, right? Because um, you can clear your utility spot for Nelson Cruz as long as he continues to hit. But replacing Otani's production, and, 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 and it gives you, Chad, flexibility, but re- replacing Otani's production on both sides, yeah, I mean, yeah, hard to do. And especially with the hype right now, like, this is another guy, a, a lot like India, like, but everything's right there in front of you. You can't argue that this guy is going to be a top 15 hitter and a top 10 pitcher. Honestly, I don't think, except maybe he is, except like, I can argue one of those things. Well, you could probably argue the hitter thing a lot easier than you could argue the pitcher thing. Sure. Right. But, but you know, Joe Madden seems like he wants to use him in a way that could make both those things true. And if I have Otani at $23, like I do in league one, like, really hard to make a move there without and then and then the flip side of it is the house of cards can come collapsing down so quickly if if he has another elbow in, injury 
or the blister stuff is just recurring or, or you know, any other number of, you can imagine it or, or like that catcher thing, that nonsense at home plate, you know, just a wild play. It's not, you know, no one is being malicious or at fault there. It's just baseball. And, but, but because Otani is out there two X more than anyone else, he's, he's more exposed to stuff like that. Right. Yep. Okay. Let, let's wrap this episode up. I wanted to, before we do that, any sort of overall strategy takeaways from this, this early in the season for me, the biggest one is don't overreact to anything that's happened, especially from a results perspective. Yeah. If you want to look at swing changes, the, 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 the chase rate, max exit velocity, some of those things could give you some information, but don't overreact. But at the same time, the other thing I want to mention is you also shouldn't be complacent. There are a lot of players that are going to be relevant the rest of this season that are up for auction in your leagues right now. It may not be easy to identify which of those players are those season-long relevant players, but it happens every year. So there are some players that are going to be worth having the rest of the way that are freely available right now to to pick up in, in 48-hour auctions. So, you know, I, I think it's don't overreact, but at the same time, let yourself be flexible. Stay on top of these auctions. Try to take advantage of those situations. If you have available cap space, to pick up some guys to churn at the back end of your roster a little bit and and pan for gold, I would absolutely be focused on doing that throughout this first month, I think, of the season, yeah. especially because there's there's players that you started the, the, the opening day with that are now hurt and they were back end guys anyway. So, you know, cut them and, and move on and, and, and find somebody who can actually contribute to your team right now, even if you don't know that it's going to continue forever. Yeah, and I think the, the sort of corollary to that is to not get caught up in the endowment effect. And I think... Like I struggle with this where it's like before the season, I was super excited about Josh Naylor. Now, Naylor is hitting the ball really hard right now. And so I'm not giving up on him because I don't think it makes sense to give up on him. But if I'm looking at a guy like your mean Mercedes, if I'm looking at a guy like, I'm trying to think of who else is out there right now as a free agent I could maybe pick up. I don't know. Let's just use Mercedes because he was the first name we came to mind. If I'm looking at a guy like your mean Mercedes, the question isn't, is it too early to give up on Josh Naylor? The question is, given the choice between Josh Naylor and your mean Mercedes at the prices they're going to cost, which one would I rather have on my roster right now? Which one's more valuable to me on my roster right now? And sometimes that means you're going to give up on a guy that it is quote unquote too early to give up on, but it doesn't matter if the guy you're getting is a better bet moving forward. Now, in that particular case, like Niv, the team we co-manage, we have Naylor. Mercedes is up for auction. We don't want to drop Naylor. I, I think Naylor is a better bet than Mercedes going forward. So I'm not making that change. Right. Which isn't, but, to, say, which isn't to say we're married to Josh Naylor in a way that's irrational. But but I think, you know, I agree with you there for 100%. 100%. Yeah, but if you're, you're looking at guys like, you know, Kyle Isbell is another name of a guy who's been, who's been hot to start the season. If you think, if you've got Josh Naylor, and you think it's too early to give up on Naylor, but you like Isbell better, go get Isbell and drop Naylor. It's okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> other Because that's really how you should be looking at it is, I have Naylor for five bucks. I could get Isbell for, if I bid three on Isbell and then I cut Naylor, now I've spent six bucks on Isbell total between the $3 and the cap pound. Right. Do I like that better than having Naylor for five? And if the answer is yes, then do it. Even right. if you think it's too early to give up on one. Yeah, I, I, I tend to go a little bit opposite from you guys because only slightly here because I tend to follow that sort of you know if this guy should have been cut seven days ago 
I should cut, or if he should be cut now, he should have been cut seven days ago. Sort of what we were talking about, uh, Keston Hira or whatever. Um, sorry, I mixed that up, but but I think you know at the same time there are like what Justin said is a hundred percent right, and the the one piece of advice I'd give right now for strategy wise is it's April 9th. We've had baseball for eight days. At some point this summer, it happens to all of us. It happens to even Justin. You're a little tired of baseball, and that's going to happen, and you're going to pay a little bit less attention. Right now is the time where you can take pay really good attention to your team. You can put set your lineups really well and make the decisions that you really want to make and make really good player decisions and really be able to lock in while you're still excited about baseball to make a good evaluation of where you are. Sort of hearkening back to our talking about rebuilds and stuff like that. Where are you right now, and where do you want to be? This is the time to take advantage of it because – you want to like you know you're hungry for baseball right now and everyone's watching baseball right now and that's not going to be necessarily true in in July and August and it's a lot harder to sort of evaluate where you are and figure out what you want to do when when you don't want to engage with the sport as much and it's a long season so I don't fault anyone for taking taking that kind of approach but if you're excited right now I I would just take advantage of that excitement that's all yeah and I mean that's general point I'd make for the for the whole season really is it's yeah, engagement true. and and, and paying attention, it can really go a long way. And it's one thing that I struggle with being in as many leagues as I'm in to, to keep that focus all season long. But I think it's vitally important to, to constantly look at what's available, who's out there in a 48-hour auction, what your trade opportunities are. The, it the moves nice, fast, man. It's it it does. And, like and people say like 48 hours is a long time, but it's also gone, you know? Yep, yep. And, and, you've, and you've already missed out on Mercedes. You've already missed out on Naquin in some mm-hmm. leagues, you know? And if and if you have the flexibility to be aggressive early, the benefit is is that if you find a player in April that is going to be good the rest of the way, you get them for six months, the better part of six months, right? Yep. And and that can make a big difference. So we talk about that from a trade perspective, but it's also true from a free agent per- perspective as well that you're maximizing the value of that player because you have them for the rest of the season. Okay, I think we we've covered what we wanted to cover on this episode. Thank you for everybody that listens, and we will catch you next time. Have a good night.